You're listening to the politicalbetting.com Polling Matters podcast. My name is Kieran Pedley. Well, on this week's show, we're going to start off focusing on Brexit. The Prime Minister continues to navigate a somewhat tricky, uh, to use our British understatement uh, course, um, as she seeks to navigate backstops to backstops and potentially um, options to extend uh, the so-called implementation or transition period um, between, between Britain leaving the European Union and having another deal with the European Union. And it's all very complicated and difficult to see how she gets things through different factions in Parliament, including her own backbenchers, the DUP, and of course, um, you know, various uh, factions within the Labour Party too. It's a real challenge at the moment for the Prime Minister. On this week's show, we're going to be talking about how she um, attempts to square that Brexit circle. And at a time when it would appear the public opinion is uh, not necessarily moving against Brexit, but it's becoming very much more aware of it and a bit more jittery and worried about it. So I'm going to be joined by Peter McLeod from uh, Greenberg, Quinlan, Rosner to talk about all things Brexit. And then later in the show, I'm going to be joined by um, fellow podcaster, uh, co-host Leo Barassi, who's going to be talking a bit about some of those issues as well. But also we'll be looking at some polling on the people that might replace Theresa May. Um, in a hypothetical um, Conservative Party uh, leadership election, should one be around the corner. It certainly feels that Tory MPs are getting um, a little bit impatient with the Prime Minister. Now, whether that manifests itself in a, a change in leader is anybody's guess at this stage, but I'm detecting just a little bit of angst, uh, a little bit more angst among Tory grassroots and among Tory MPs that maybe there were maybe they were. Uh, a month or so ago. And we're also going to be taking some time to tentatively uh, look ahead towards the budget a week on Monday. We'll be doing a budget special next week, looking at all things um, economy related, but we're going to be sort of touching on that a bit today. So um, without further ado, let's let's kick off this week's show. Um, I started by asking uh, Peter McLeod, uh, Vice President of uh, Greenberg, Quinlan, Rosner in London, um, what he thought about this week's um, developments on Brexit. So I'm here with uh, Peter McLeod from uh, Greenberg, Quinlan, Rosner. Peter, welcome to Polling Matters. Thanks very much. So it's uh, it's it's hard it's hard to keep. We were saying on fair, weren't we? It's it's hard to keep track of the latest Brexit developments, isn't it? But what what's your assessment of what we've been seeing this week? Before we go into the numbers, just the politics of it all. Um, I mean, as you say, it's hard to keep track of because things keep happening. But the thing that keeps seeming to happen is kind of nothing. <laughs> you know, the, 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 these crisis points come like Salzburg and, and like last night. And, um, and it's more kicking of the can down the road. And I think in one sense, it's clever from Theresa May because um, it's one thing is it gets her past the budget and it, and it, and it sort of um, postpones any crisis until until beyond the, the budget. And the other thing is that it um, increases the sense of jeopardy around no deal, um, which I think is going to potentially swing some votes her way in the in the House of Commons when it comes to a vote. Yeah, it's, I mean, Leo, Leo, um, Leo Barassi, uh, who will be on a bit later, um, has, has constantly said this, you know, it's a case of, Ultimately, and people can see what's happening. Theresa May wants it to be her deal versus no deal, and that's what swings swings it in Parliament. But I, I feel like I don't know. Uh, I'm just detecting recently that I feel like the mood's shifting against her, and it's very hard to quantify that really. But it just feels like a lot of Tory MPs are losing losing patience. I mean, do you feel that as well? 
you hear it in in the mutterings from people, or in the not so much mutterings from um, people like um, David Davis and, and Penny Morden. Um, I think that they've always been planning to do something, and it's a question of when. Um, and perhaps the the smart thing that she's doing is not giving them something, you know, as time goes by, refusing to give them anything that they can really um, get that angry about, and, and perhaps she'll get to a point where it's too late for them to get super angry and, um, and she'll have sort of, uh, you know, used the timeline pressure to um, keep enough people on, on her side. Um, but I, I do think it's going to come um, probably and probably sooner rather than rather than later. Yeah, it's one of those where I'm, I'm trying to work out how much control she can really have over this. I mean, there's so many moving parts. What do Labour do? Well, we know Labour are going to oppose the deal, but what, the final deal that comes back, but there'll be some MPs that don't, right? And then what do the DUP do? Um, what what do the Tory rebels do? I mean, it must be really a really hard, um, very hard for Theresa May's uh, political advisors to work out at what point they think they've got something that gets through Parliament. I wonder to some extent whether they're just going to have to put something forward and see if it see if it sticks. I mean, this week, um, all this stuff about extending the transition period, I'm really struggling as someone that obsesses over this stuff, follows it every day. I'm really struggling to see what the incentive for that is because it seems to be creating a lot more, to pardon my French, pissed off people in the Conservative Party, but doesn't seem to really solve the actual issue, which is the backstop of Northern Ireland, does it? Yeah, as far as, as, far as I understand it, the only benefit that derives from the extension is that um, they have a bit longer to work out a suitable post-transition arrangement that will that could potentially prevent the backstop being implemented. So it's like a, a small reduction in the probability of the backstop um, being triggered, and then, you know, perhaps in the calculation, a small reduction in the probability that the DUP opposed the deal. I just, I don't think that it's anywhere near enough to appease the DUP. Yeah, I think if 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 people think the DUP are bluffing, I would advise them to maybe maybe think again. Um, these are people that. Uh, without putting it too finely, these are these are people that are used to negotiating with Sinn Fein um, and the British government over a piece in Northern Ireland, um, and we see we see the ramifications of the hard lines that they take on things with the fact there's no assembly there at the moment. I'm not saying it's 100% the DUP to blame. That's not the point I'm trying to make, but I think we see the DUP are quite happy uh, to um, take things to the wire and for things to fall apart a bit if they think it's in their interests. Um, but anyway, let, let's talk a bit about the numbers. Because um, I mean, um, part of the reason you're on today is to talk about kind of, I don't know, where, where we are with these Brexit deals. Where, where's public opinion? I mean, um, you, you've, done a few, you've done a few polls, haven't you? I mean, where do you, where do you think voters currently are with this process? I mean, it doesn't seem like they're very positive about it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a really fascinating set of contradictions. One is that um, for all that the overall numbers, and, and John Curtis has been doing a really good job of tracking Leave Remain sentiment, for all that um, things haven't moved all that much on whether we should or shouldn't be leaving, people are definitely getting a lot more worried about it. Um, so we, we first polled on whether people felt more hopeful or more worried about leaving the EU in March 2017. And there we found 50% hopeful and only 41% worried. So despite the referendum result, there was a bit of, there was, there was more optimism than perhaps that you'd, you'd expect. But that, that situation is reversed now. And now we've got 52% um, worried and only, and, sorry, 52% yeah worried and, and only 
42% or so who are who are hopeful about it. So definitely there's a overall sense in the, in the country that things aren't going to be that good. And, and actually really a very negative rating um, for the job that Theresa May is doing in, um, in negotiating Brexit. So people feel like it's going to be a bad outcome. We're doing a bad job negotiating it. Um, is it. I'd say people are really quite unhappy. Yeah, it does make me what I mean, looking at looking at the numbers, I, I would, there's two interpretations you can have of what happens if Brexit all if a deal all falls apart, and there is no deal, we can come on to no deal in a minute. What one interpretation is that there's like a, there's a backlash among public opinion towards the EU and, and people blame Brussels. And, um, you know, there's this kind of up yours, Delors, Sun front page equivalent for Barnier and all the rest of it. And, and public opinion sort of blames Europe and swings behind the government. I mean, that there'll be a bit of that, I think. I, I'm I'm not persuaded. I mean, the numbers you're presenting suggest people are getting more and more worried by it. And I'd be in the camp, if I was a sort of someone that's passionate about leaving the European Union, I'd probably be in the camp of um, the Goves and, and et cetera, saying, look, let's get out or in an orderly fashion and then worry about the detail later. Because if, if some of those numbers you've mentioned swing even further away, more worried, more concerned, that sort of thing. That's that's surely the environment where support for a second referendum comes up, isn't it? Or starts to increase? Yes, to a point. I mean, the, the reason that um, I sort of said there were some fascinating contradictions is that despite how worried people are, they still sort of think that we should we should leave. Um, you know, we we tested some um, sort of paired statements and polarities on this, and um, Despite the fact that people are really worried, you know, they tend to think that we should leave after all. So mm. we, we asked if there's no Brexit deal that satisfies the majority of people in Britain, we should stay in versus we should just leave with whatever's the best deal we can get. And leaving with whatever deal we can get actually wins 45-40 over, um, over staying, even, even, even if the deal isn't that good. And um, also we tested no deal versus... Um, uh, avoiding a no deal at all costs. So we should avoid a no deal at all costs versus if the EU won't make a reasonable deal, we should leave without one. And um, actually leaving without one wins, it's 43-37. I mean, it, again, like the original referendum, it, there's not big margins. But mm. despite everyone's worries and dissatisfaction with the way the process is going, there's still a sort of sense of grimly trudging on through. Sure. I, I just wonder how that how that might change. Um, depending on what happens in the next few months, I guess I guess you know people have their loyalties to leave and remain, and there's no sign of them shifting dramatically yet, is there? So may, maybe maybe how people view the prism of talks breaking down, if they do, will just fall within that leave remain um, that leave remain divide. I mean, how much do we think voters are paying attention? You say they're concerned, um, but I mean, is Brexit top of mind for them, or are they just zoning out? I mean, it was one of the things I'm always interested in with politics is. Yeah, we, we obviously follow this stuff really closely, but voters don't, do they? So is Brexit something that they're really following? Yeah, I mean, we are massive geeks. Um, but... <laughs> well, speak for yourself, Peter. Come on now. <laughs> no, we are. Um, Carry on. <laughs> so we, 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 did a, we do a pretty standard um, question on what are the top priorities for the government. Um, and uh, we have a whole list of them, NHS, inequality, immigration, housing, etc., we include Brexit in that, and it actually—I mean—it comes second in our in our in our test here after the NHS. NHS always always top, but Brexit 
more than half the population, given the three choices of the top issue, picked Brexit and our relationship with the EU. And that's up since you know, 18 months ago when we first tested it. So, yeah, people think it's really important. And, and people are paying attention at least to the extent that they can ask, answer questions. You know, we, we, um, we did some quite uh, tricky questions testing the um, people's acceptability of the possible deals on the table. And we thought, you know, it's a, it's a tough question to ask because it's really complicated. Um, but DK was about 20 percent. So, uh, so, so one in five don't you know. know. People, yeah, one in yeah, five don't yeah, know. Yeah, fine. So, so one in five don't know. So, what, what when you're testing these deals, what do, um, what, what are people prioritizing? If, if, if they don't put it another way, if they don't like checkers, what do they want? So, we what we tried was checkers, um, and we described it in some detail. This is why it's a tough question to ask. It's long, and you worry that people are going to um, stop paying attention. But we felt it was important to test the whole deal because they need these deals come as packages. They're not a, a menu of options. So we tested what people thought about checkers, and you know it actually scrapes through in in public opinion. I think it was um, about you know sort of forty two thirty seven or something like that. It's not right. directly in front of me. Um, so checkers scrapes through, and the really interesting thing about um, checkers is forty three thirty six, by the way, acceptable versus unacceptable. And amongst both Remain voters and Leave voters, it is you get a plurality who would accept the checkers deal. And I think that, you know, for all that uh, people complain about the job she's doing and for all that, you know, I think a lot of us wish she was doing a different kind of job on it, May has at least managed to tread a very narrow path of finding something that most people can just about, or not most people, but enough people can just about live with. That's interesting though, Peter, right? Because that's quite different to what a lot of the polls say. And I, I suspect the reason for that is because of the way you've asked the question, right? So a lot of the ways you see checkers presented are in the context of like a, a three-way um, sort of horse race almost between Remain, checkers, and No Deal. That's a poll I've seen a lot where checkers seems to, you know, not be the first choice. So it seems to do very badly. So, I, I mean, I, I don't have figures in front of me, but I remember a few polls where, you know, Remain basically gets what it always gets, and then about a third of voters were quite happy with leaving with no deal or maybe it was a bit less and then it was like 15 percent preferred checkers but that of course but I, i've moaned about this before that of course is in an environment where people have to choose between those options actually what you've tested is whether or not it's acceptable versus not acceptable which is presumably closer to um what theresa may wants the choice to actually be isn't it it's not she's never going to put it on a ballot paper with remain and no deal she just wants enough people to think it's okay yeah that's right i mean it's it, in the end it's um cool that parliament might be able to amend the vote on the withdrawal bill it'll still be um it'll still be a case of either taking this this deal or, or not taking it and so that's why we we, we did it that way and mm. you know in, if there were a referendum it would be a binary referendum um, and not a not a three way choice. So that's why we tried to do it this way. Sure. Um, and and I suppose perhaps one explanation for why other polls come out in that way is that um, for both leavers and remainers, there's a better option, right? So more leavers found no deal acceptable than found checkers acceptable, um, as you as you as you might imagine, because yeah. checkers yeah. make those make those compromises. 
um, and more Remainers found the option of staying in the single market and customs union acceptable than found checkers acceptable. But checkers was the only one that got a plurality of both of those groups of voters. Mm. So if you're, let's say you're a consultant working with Theresa May, I'm not saying you are. Um, what, what, <laughs> are you, what, <laughs> what are you What are you saying to her at the moment? And what does she need to know on public opinion? And I, I guess... What are the implications then for the strategy she takes moving forward? I mean, it's a big question, but I suppose when we're looking at how we, we use polling in the real world with clients, whether it's a politician or, or someone else, you, you, you present the numbers and then you say, right, this is what you've got to do. So what's your, what's your sense of the numbers and what the prime minister does now? I mean, is it really just ultimately get what you can get and put, you know, put it to parliament and see what happens? Um, so I think that... The, I think the role that we have is um, not necessarily to tell them what to do, but to tell them how to be successful doing the thing that they want to do. Mm. Um, and um, I think that there are there are good reasons that they've gone down the, the checkers route. And the, you know, the biggest one, it's almost as though it, they they've sort of looked at the polling and said, what's what's the minimum acceptable deal for the most number of people. Um, I think the the challenge is going to be selling it, and obviously we we talked about the the difficulties of selling it in in Parliament. I think the difficulties of I think a lot of the choices are informed by the difficulties of selling things to the to the public, and um, whether she's going to be able to present the deal as um, freeing us from European courts and laws. Um, we in, we've consistently found that people would be really riled up by European courts still having jurisdiction in in Britain. Um, whether she'll be able to get over the hump with the with the money, um, you know, I don't think any polling has found people accepting um, paying just about anything. There will be a obviously there will be ongoing payments, but um, whether she can um, square that, and then of course it's it's Northern Ireland, and it's not just um, politicians in Northern Ireland who don't want to erect a, a, a border between um, the North and uh, the rest of Ireland, but the public don't think it would be acceptable for there to be a, a hard border um, on the island of Ireland after Brexit as well. So she's got to, the, the, the challenge with advising her is finding a message that presents this deal as the right kind of Brexit and that, um, that enough uh, people are going to find acceptable. And of course, the the, the jobs that um, Boris Johnson and David Davis are, are doing week in and week out in the papers is uh, is, uh, is obviously trying to undermine it and do, do the opposite of that. Yes, and then, what, then when it comes to Parliament, it's going to be a real crunch vote. Peter McLeod, uh, thank you very much for your time. Such a pleasure. That was Peter McLeod from Greenberg, Quinlan, Rosner. A big thanks to Peter for joining us on this week's episode. Um, certainly some interesting numbers thrown out there, not least on checkers and actually how uh, showing how that if you frame it in a certain way, the numbers aren't necessarily as bad as they might appear at first. But does that actually really matter? Um, you know, what, what, what are politicians in Westminster going to think about this? Um, I'm joined for the second half of the podcast by my uh, co-host, Leo Brassi, to, to respond to what we've just heard. Uh, Leo, uh, welcome to the show. Hi, Karen. So you've been listening into that um, interview with, um, with Peter. I mean, what, what, what struck you there? Right, so I think uh, you're absolutely right to say it does matter 
what politicians um, uh, think of the deal and how they describe it. And I think what Peter just said about how Chequers is understood is really interesting and really important. So um, as he just said, if you describe the deal in quite a lot of detail, then you can actually find quite a lot of support for it. So his numbers were uh, 43% said that they'd find it acceptable. 36% said that they'd find it unacceptable. By the way, this is a question that has 182 words in it. So there is a exceptionally long polling question. As, As Peter acknowledged, to be fair to him, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not raising that as a methodological challenge or anything, but just purely the point is you go into a lot of detail explaining what it is and people quite like it. Contrast that with a YouGov poll from September where they simply said, from what you've seen or heard about the Brexit deal agreed at the Chequers meeting, do you think it would be good or bad for Britain? No explanation. 11% good, 40% bad. So what we've got is people at the moment think that they don't like this thing called checkers, but when they hear what checkers actually is, then they come to quite like it. And for me, that really, in a nutshell, encapsulates the massive unknown about what's going to happen at the end of this negotiation period. Will the public engage in detail with the content of what Theresa May comes back with and decide on their own whether or not they like it? Because I think there's a pretty good chance that if she comes back with something that feels a bit like a compromise that is a bit checkers-ish and the public pay attention to it, then the she will probably find that she can get at least a plurality of support or certainly not a wave of opposition. But if, on the other hand, public opinion about the deal is formed in the way that opinion on these things usually is, which is elite leaders of the various groups, so um, leaders of the Leave camp like Boris Johnson, Jacob Rees-Mogg, Nigel Farage, if they do what I'm sure they will do, which is criticize the deal, call it uh, some sort of Latin term or uh, some sort of uh, then there's a good chance the public will hear that, take that, and that might be their opinion. And I think this is the massive unknown at the moment essentially can the government succeed in getting the public to engage with it and make their own mind up about it or will opinion effectively come down from how elites describe it yeah i think that's an important point um my instinct is probably not to be that optimistic for the government there's something i don't know there's something in me that's shifted this week just looking at the way this has been presented in the media and just the noises coming out of the Tory party, and we'll come to the Tory party in a minute, because I think increasingly, like it or not, this is this this parliamentary vote is going to be about the Tory party, right? But let's come, we'll come to that parliamentary vote, the meaningful vote, whenever it comes. Um, I can't help but feel the context of all of these negotiations is that about seventy odd percent think they're going badly, around seven in ten think Theresa May is doing a bad job at negotiating Brexit. It's quite difficult for me to see how, in that context all of a sudden, people are going to suddenly think, yeah, this is a great deal. I mean, I understand if you're positioning it against the fear of no deal, then okay, I can understand why people would want anything over nothing. But at the same time, when you're trying to convince people, let's say in the Labour Party or Tory sceptics to vote for this in Parliament, given that public opinion, I think, is likely to be quite negative about it, considering they've been negative about everything Theresa May has been doing so far, it's going to be really, really difficult for them. And I would just add to that briefly, um, that if you 
if you look at the the story this week is all about additional concessions that may might need to make to get a deal so for example the latest is on uh, a longer transition and i was saying earlier to peter i think you, when you were listening in you know i i i kind of understand what they're getting at with this longer transition the idea is that oh if there's more time then this backstop becomes less relevant but at the same time surely that's dwarfed by the idea that you still haven't agreed what the backstop solution is and if the transition is longer, that's more money going to the EU. And I think that's something that's really easy for people, particularly leave voters in public opinion terms, to understand, oh, we're going to stay in longer. And not only are we going to stay in longer, but we have to pay more money to the EU. I feel that's a really easy message to communicate why it's bad, um, rather than, well, if we stay a bit longer, then this uh, backstop might not be kicking into place and that will be okay. I don't know, maybe I'm positioning this in the wrong way I mean, listeners can can weigh in on, on social media but i feel like it's a much cleaner message about why that's bad than why that's good if that's the direction the government's going in and she's kind of rode back from that sense today it's not really clear what's happening so i don't know i mean i think that maybe i'm making a big leap and assuming that assuming that there will be a deal at all but it feels to me like i'm more pessimistic this week that this gets through parliament than i once was um just because i i see that there's going to be lots of reasons for people that want to vote against it to do so yeah so i think there's a lot that i agree with in what you said but there are a couple of places i guess i'll take issues so um the deal that comes back will be just like any deal that could possibly come back It'll have things that uh, the government can attack and uh, sorry, the, the opponents can attack and things that the government can defend. But I think you, your suggestion that those weak points are going to kill it. I think this GQR poll has given me a bit of pause on that. So looking at how that they've described Theresa May's checkers plan, it includes things like Britain would make payments to the EU but much less than it did as a member. And um, Britain would keep its rules and regulations over food and goods the same as EU rules. If Britain wanted different rules and regulations, it would have to discuss it with the EU. Now, those are things that you might think in the abstract would make people really not want to support the, the options on the table. But you know, to remind you, that got 43 support versus 36 opposition so these compromise deals perhaps can be a bit more popular than you might give them credit for i think the other issue which um we do need to confront and you refer to it as something we're going to talk about is this point that i don't think that the swing voter now for theresa may is leave inclined uh tory mps surely now it is um Labour MPs who are looking to avoid a no deal, and that that I guess is sort of is the the fruit of this this point that I've always had in mind, which is that the closer that Theresa May gets to uh, the cliff edge of no deal, then the easier it is for her to sell her deal as the only way of avoiding disaster. Not just la- not just Labour MPs, I would imagine um, some some Tory MPs too, and um, Johnny Mercer. Has, uh, has been quoted in the, um, who's a Remain supporting MP, has been quoted in the House magazine this evening as saying yeah, there's no place for the modern Conservative Party for him in it. Um, uh, quite quite outstanding. Um, 
quite quite astonishing uh, intervention from him. So we 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 forget, I think, that there are a, a bunch of pretty unhappy uh, Remainer uh, sort of Tory MPs in Parliament. Probably disproportionate number of Remainer Tory MPs when you consider um, the, the you know how leave a Tory vote is, if you like. Um, but they're they're going to be have to have to be uh, kept on board. Um, as well, but just before we go into that sort of Labour vote and some of the maths around this, um, I just I just can't shake this idea though that I mean when you put it in that long-winded poll question, yeah, you can convince a plurality to support it, but is that's not going to be how it's presented, is it? If it's just going to be presented as a really bad deal by um, the, the the right-wing press, and the Labour Party is going to want to convince its supporters that we have to vote this deal down to get rid of the Tories. And we'll do a better Brexit, whatever that whatever that means, right? So, it's just again, I I consider this like public opinion is important, but ultimately now, this is, and this is a parliamentary battle, right? And you know the different political parties have to calculate what they're going to do and how that's going to play out. But ultimately, this is going to be a Westminster bubble, MP versus MP, who's going to vote for this deal and who's not going to vote for this deal. Well, yeah. Um, so that's that's fine, and I agree that um, this is a deal that's not going to have many natural supporters. Although you know it might be significant that the the Daily Mail now has a Remain supporting editor, um, which does potentially bring into play a supporter of the deal who could have that could have been a vitriolic critic of it. Uh, but that's one side. Yeah, this is going to be a vote of MPs, but potentially this is coming down to a very, very fine margin of supporter opposition. And I think it would be surprising if it wasn't the case that there were MPs who were unsure about which way they should go, who will be looking at public opinion. And this is another of those moments where opinion pollsters have a lot of influence over what happens for the country. A bit like as we saw ahead of the Scottish referendum where uh, suddenly it looked like Scotland might go independent and there was suddenly a rush uh, for the pledge um, and and opinion polling changed politics then. Just as we've seen ahead of the last two general elections where the way events were covered was very much filtered by uh, how polling was at the time and which parties were seen as the, the potential governments. I think this is again one of those times where what happens in the real world will be filtered by how public opinion on the issue is seen to be well whilst you were talking whilst you were talking there i was just looking at um the maths of the ninth march 1979 vote of no confidence in the callaghan government um and that there was a great youtube documentary which i'll post online which i think uh, li- uh listeners that are interested should uh should check out about that 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 night it's called something like one night in westminster or something or one night in march or something like that i'll, I'll look it up um, where Margaret Thatcher's um, vote of no confidence in the uh, Callaghan Labour government passed by one vote. And I won't go into it in too much detail. You could do a whole episode on it, really. But there was just some. F- but given it was uh, passed by one vote, the fact that the Scottish Nationalist National Party, 11 voters there, voted for it uh, was interesting, alongside the fact that the Ulster Unionist Party split 5 to 2 in favour of it. Uh, there were abstentions in the SDLP. I mean, it really did come down, as you would expect, with a vote but passed by one. It really did come down to um, individual MPs and what they wanted to do. 
And um, I was also looking at the, we were looking off air together, weren't we, about the uh, House of Commons composition at the moment. My best guess at the moment, even though there's 650 MPs, once you factor in Sinn Féin and speakers and all the rest of it, actually the magic number is 320 to have a majority in Parliament. The Tories currently have 316 MPs um, and the, the DUP nine. Um, this, I think this, this is what, the current uh, this this may or may not be up to date related to um, Ian Paisley's suspensions and things like that. But you know there, there's not much margin of error to use a phrase, pardon the pun, uh, for the Tories here, uh, especially if they use lose the DUP uh, support. But even if they don't, even if they manage to get the DUP to back them um, or abstain, maybe um, the Tories don't have to lose much support in Parliament. For this to be for May's deal again, assuming she gets one, to really, really be in jeopardy. I mean, she's asking a. It's not just a few Labour MPs, is it? This is a lot of Labour MPs that are going to have to vote for this to get it through. Well, yeah, and I think even just looking at the raw number of Tory MPs is pretty much a futile exercise here because it's very hard to see there being a deal that, say, Jacob Rees-Mogg and Anna Soubry could both. Uh, sign up to for example and you know they're they're not even um perhaps the the most uh, extreme outliers in the party i mean it's quite it's quite obvious that the tories are gonna lose that theresa may is gonna lose some of her mps um she can't afford to lose any uh so yeah she is gonna have to win support from other parties almost certainly not just the dup so so are we are we dancing around the issue here actually because you know what are we just dancing around the issue that there's just this is just not getting through Parliament, is it? I mean, is this going to be a bit like um, the, I think it was the House of Representatives under Bush, or, or at least Congress somehow rejecting the bailout deal initially, and then it just causing chaos? Because for ideological reasons, they rejected the bailout. It caused all sorts of meltdowns. But, you know, that was, a, like I say, for ideological reasons about the market and all, and bailouts and so on, Congress did in you know, the wrong thing first. Is is our is our Parliament just going to be like that? I, I just don't see how, unless the ERG abstains, and you'd never rule out the uh, possibility of politicians abstaining at the crucial moment, do you? I just don't see where the numbers are. Even if it, even so, if it's a, even if it's a really good, even if it's a you know she, the EU caves in and it's a great deal in inverted commas. Well, well, right. We certainly shouldn't. Seems unlikely, right? No, yeah, we should certainly shouldn't underplay the the perspective that this is fantastically difficult and it's hard to see where you get 320 MPs from. But it doesn't seem impossible to me. Firstly, because the cliff edge that we'd be coming to is pretty damn brutal, and there are going to be MPs who are looking at this and thinking, "Well, this isn't what I wanted," but. The alternative is so bad that we just got to get it over the line, you know. Leave so leavers like Michael Gove, uh, essentially taking it. Let's just get there and sort out the details afterwards, and uh, because otherwise it might never happen. Um, and quite possibly some remainers who think, well, look, the very best we can hope for now is a is a horrible compromise, but it's better than no deal. Um, and I think the really fascinating question here is what Labour MPs, and I don't just mean the sort of um, uh, uh, the t- the Kate Hoey kind of toughest um, Brexiters, but a lot of the others who were, um, I guess, of the camp of supporting Brexit because it was the the people's will. What they do uh, when the li- the Labour leadership's argument is is clearly going to be as it has been for a while, effectively, 
uh, there is nothing that can happen in the in the European vote that is more important than getting a Labour government elected. So the only priority, the only thing we should care about is bringing down the government and electing Jeremy Corbyn. Now, surely there are going to be some Labour MPs who are going to disagree with that and say, well, look, yeah, it may or may not be true that Jeremy Corbyn uh, could could be elected if there's no deal Brexit. But frankly, a no deal would be so awful for the country that it's my patriotic duty to vote with the government to to get it through. Now, is that going to happen? How many of them? I don't know. But I don't think it's ridiculous to suggest that there will be some and potentially a large number. Maybe I just I just think I've become a lot more pessimistic this week. I don't know what it is in particular. I think it's just the sense that this drags on and drags on and drags on. And I don't know why one extra month of dragging on has suddenly made me negative. Maybe it's just a, a, th- a threshold but, I wasn't aware but wasn't of. It's always going to happen, though, right? I mean, you negotiate with the EU, it carries on and on and on until the very last minute where suddenly there's a deal. I just, and yeah, maybe. May, you want it to drag on, right? Because the closer you get <clears throat> to the cliff edge, the easier your life is. And this is what people say, right? She wants to leave it to the right the last minute and then it is that cliff edge. Vote for the cliff edge or vote yeah, for my what, deal. Like, in what way would it be in Theresa May's interest to have come home with a deal now? I just feel that there's an inc- inc- this. There was already a negative atmosphere around these negotiations, both in public opinion terms, but also in Westminster. And it just feels like the tide is starting to turn even more negative, to the point where you can see how people will convince themselves that no, 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 we're not voting for no deal. No, 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 no. We're, we're voting to either on the Labour side bring the government down, or on the Tory side to do this properly. And maybe I, I think that's maybe naive. But I think mean, you'd be surprised what partisans can do if they if they convince themselves that their right their way is the right way. Anyway, um, let's leave it there for this week. Hopefully, our listeners enjoyed that sort of bumper episode of the podcast this week. Certainly, lots to chew over in terms of um, Theresa May's deal and whether she can get it through Parliament. If you like what you hear, as ever, please do the necessary. Do share us on social media, like our Facebook page, give us a positive rating on iTunes or other podcast apps. It all helps uh, spread the word about the podcast and get us new listeners, and we very much appreciate it. But for now, everyone enjoy their weekends, and thanks for listening. <laughs>